Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, or no, I'm sorry, Romans 11, and uh, uh, we're going to read these last verses. Now, this will be the last sermon in this section of Romans. Next week, Paul shifts gears, and he goes in a different direction that is astonishing. And so when he says amen at the end of this, he means amen, and he's going to start something new, powerful, and bring us to the conclusion of the book of Romans, and uh, I think you're just going to be blown away at what you see. We only have a few more uh, chapters to go. So now hear God's word, Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 18. I read this last week. We're going to read it again just for context, okay? But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me, yes. But remember, those branches were broken off because they did not believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has power to graft them in again. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues, will come from Jerusalem and will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news and his benefits you Gentiles. Yet, they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and callings can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in ungodliness and disobedience so that 
or in order that he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great and are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible for us to understand his decisions and his ways, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to repay them? For everything comes from him, exists by his power, as in, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Again, I apologize for the long reading. I hope that you pay attention. It, it, normally, we don't read so many verses, but chapter 11 is long. It's important, and it all hangs together. In fact, the whole chapter hangs together, but to spare you all, we only broke it down into two pieces. And so... Uh, you really need to look at, at the whole 9 through 11 to understand what Paul's talking about. He's talking about God's faithfulness. He brings up difficult subjects like election and predestination and sovereignty and all those things, and, and they can be very confusing. But the point behind all of it, in fact, I would argue the point behind all of the first 12, 11 chapters of Romans is God is telling us, Look at who you were. Look at who you can become. And trust me, I am faithful, even though people are not faithful. We fail, I don't know, we fail a lot, some more than others. But God remains steadfast. He remains faithful. He loves you. He's not holding his nose and saying, oh, this is the worst person. How did I let them into my kingdom? Maybe I should cut them off. And we're going to get to that in a second. That is not the God that we serve. He's loving and generous and kind and has gone to infinite lengths to justify us by the blood of his son Jesus and to bring us in, then make promise, I will never leave you. And we are to remain steadfast in that. Not how great our faith is. Our faith is going to go up and down and sideways and whatever. It's how great he is. Take the littlest bit of your faith and direct it towards him, and it becomes what it's meant to be, strong and proud. You may not feel anything, but you just trust him, okay? So he's reminding us in all these chapters of his faithfulness, and here he's telling us, he uses this beautiful illustration of a tree and branches and roots, of our dependency on him. I was reading the Proverbs this morning. I've been reading the Proverbs. I do one every day, 31 days. I finish Proverbs. I've been doing this now for five years. And it will blow your mind if you do that. Because there's so much wisdom, right? That's what Proverbs is, wisdom. And it says that money is like a bird. And it flies away. Don't trust in your money. That's just one proverb. You see, you can trust in your health. You can trust in your education. You can trust in your church, your Presbyterian church or whatever church. You can, you can put your trust in all of these things. But folks, only one person has shoulders broad enough to bear the weight of our lives, and that is our Savior Jesus. And I'll tell you, Paul, of all the apostles, wow, he just, he drilled down into that. 
I will preach nothing but, I will boast of nothing but the cross of Christ. I will have nothing but the cross of Christ. Over and over and over. Here he comes to his conclusion about Israel, the church, Gentiles and Jews, the mystery of how God is going to restore the world so that there are not Jews and Gentiles, but one new humanity united under the banner of Jesus Christ and going forward to bring the kingdom of God into this world and to honor Him and love Him and be salt and light in the world that we live in. Okay? First, we're going to talk about a final warning. He is going to warn them in the sternest terms, and I'll talk about that in a second. Then I'm going to talk about presumption. Presumption is not saving faith. And sadly, a lot of Christians confuse presumption with saving faith. I'm going to talk about the difference and what, uh, what we need to know about that. And how do you know if it's presumption? How will you tell the difference? Paul tells us, but I think we just kind of skip right over it. And finally, I'm going to talk about God's chesed. This is a Hebrew term. Paul was thinking about it, although he was written in Greek. Chesed is a term in Hebrew that is, uh, I don't know, they're just whole volumes. Have been. My, my son is here today. He was a, a seminary graduate at Redeemer Seminary, and he was really good in Hebrew. I'm going to brag on my kid. Uh, and so after his first year, had the Hebrew professor there, Doug Gropp, which is one of the best uh, Hebrew scholars in probably in the world, uh, fell in love with Justin and got Justin to teach the three first modules of Hebrew. And so you learn this word. Learn chesed. Chesed is one of those terms you should know. And it's a deep, unshakable, in fact, it has so many definitions, again, but I'm just going to give you one. It's a deep and unshakable love and kindness and tenderness that does not waver ever. It doesn't change. No matter what happens on the earth or in your life, it absolutely doesn't change. It is a love that locks onto you at its own expense and will not let you go. In the Bible, it's translated loving kindness, tender mercy. Sometimes you see those words and you go, What is that? It's Hesed. It's an unspeakable kind of love. It's covenant loyalty. It's saying, God, I will be loyal to you no matter what you do to me. If you commit adultery, as, the, as Israel did in the book of Hosea, he said, can I forget you, my children? Can I forget you? No, I will never forget you. That's chesed. And that's what's rolling. How did I do, Justin? Close? All right, I got it. God's love for us is unbelievable. And then we'll conclude. So real quickly, look back at verses 18 through 20. Here's his warning, and it is stark, and it is true, and it should cause you to uh, consider some things in your life. And Don't brag that you're replacing these branches that were broken off. You are just a branch. It's amazing how human beings have such hubris and pride and arrogance to think that we can, uh, what is the old term, that we can truck with God. 
Now, you can dialogue with him, you can complain, you can lament, you can do all of that stuff, but never, ever think that you will come to the end of understanding him. He is infinite. You cannot comprehend him, but you can apprehend him. And that's a difference. Those are theological categories you should learn. All of us can apprehend the truths about the Trinity and about the hypostatic union of Jesus being 100% human, 100% man, uh, or 100% God. We can, you can apprehend them. You can get a hold of them. But never think you're going to understand them to the bottom. He understands you to the bottom, but you can't understand Him. But He calls us to come and He says, lay hold of me, grab a hold, and get as much of me as you can hold. And although it's not all, it's enough. And there's to come with that is a powerful warning against pride and an encouragement, if you will, to deep, respectful humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking bad about yourself. C.S. Lewis said, true humility is thinking about yourself less. Get yourself off your mind and focus your heart and soul on Jesus. I this is all I've done here, folks, for 20 years is tell you, run to Jesus, turn to Jesus, look to Jesus. You can learn all the theology in the world and be lost. Okay? And I love theology. I'm an expert at theology. All right. They were broken off because they did not believe. Not because they didn't obey. They were broken off because they didn't believe. Their disobedience in not believing. Okay? And that's something we've got to get our head around. It's faith. It was faith for Israel. It's faith for us. No different. They had a lot of rules. We have a lot of rules. We have two. That you can actually shrink to one. And they had ten. They could barely manage those ten. Folks, humility. God wants to see us not bringing all our good works to Him. John Gerstner said, Beware your damnable good deeds. Beware of them. Your damnable good deeds. He's not impressed. Why is He not impressed with our good deeds? Because He saw the best. He gave the best. The best walked this earth in flesh and blood and did the best. And who are we to come and say, Oh, look at me. I'm a, I'm, now I'm a branch in the tree and I'm the root and this and that and on and on. When the root bears us, we don't bear the root. So it's a call Paul is asking you and me. Deep, reverent humility. Fill the windshield of your heart and your mind with Jesus Christ. Presumption is not saving faith. Look at 21 and 22. He's going to describe presumption. If God did not spare the original branches, He won't spare you either. But notice, God's kindness and severity. 
He's severe towards those who disobeyed. The disobedience of refusing to believe in Christ. When he came and was offered to them on a silver platter, they said, no, I won't have that. Severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you, listen, if you continue to trust. But if you stop trusting, listen carefully, you also will be cut off. Now what he's talking about here, a lot of people have taken these verses and said, oh well, you can lose your salvation. Well, let me see if I can help you. A lot of that came from this idea that, you know, you are, you're dead in your sins, you come to Jesus, you believe, and you're born again. It's a revivalist Christianity, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's how mo- many of us came to Christ. But that's not what's going on in Paul's mind. He's not thinking about this, this punctiliar type of salvation. He sees salvation as you believing and persevering in your belief as he perseveres in his faithfulness to you. You understand the difference? If you think that it's a point in time, I got saved on January 15th, uh, uh, you know, 1942. Then you're old. But yeah, that, that's a true fact. But that's not what he's thinking about in his mind. 1942, did you believe in 1943? Did you believe in 1944? Oh, in 44, you went crazy because you had seen Paris, so you became a a reprobate for five years while you lived in Paris and let your mind go wild. But then you came back. Why did you come back? Because you believe. And God remains faithful all along. He never moves, never changes. He's there. You turn back to Him. What happens? You're still there. You have doubts. You go, you become a pastor, go to seminary, lose your mind. And you say, no, I believe. You're back. It's not that you are unsaved and resaved and unsaved and resaved. No, you're persevering in your faith. Tell me you understand the difference. Everybody? Any confusion? Totally. Okay, let's move on. I'm going to get scolded by Dawson for confusing you. It's not about losing your salvation. It's about persevering in faith, about us never giving up on Him. Why? Because He never gives up on you. Why? Because it's not about your performance. It's not about your merit. It's about the work of Christ for you and your simple trust in Him. Now, many of you should feel a burden lifting off of you and going into outer space, and hopefully it will never come back. And some of you, well, you probably need to struggle with it a little bit. But let me tell you, true Christianity is a joy, a delight, and if it's crushing you, come see us. Good night. Come see Dawson and me. Somebody, talk to somebody. Christianity is a joy, it's a delight, it's, it's glory to look in the face of our Savior and see that kind of hope and truth in the face of death and disease and all the other hurts of this world. Never giving up on Him. Why? Because He never gives up on you. 
Why do we give up? Let me, let me tell you where our presumption often lands. Now listen to this, very helpful. Unrealistic or unrealized expectations. In other words, you have some view of God that every time you ask him for something, he ought to give you whatever you want, like the BMW and uh, the pretty girls or the pretty guys. Uh, you know, lots of money, uh, and, and, and you, you draw this picture around you of what your life should be as a Christian, and when it doesn't get there, you blame him. Oh, well, he didn't give me what I wanted, he didn't help me, I prayed to him when, when uh, my, my marriage was falling apart and he just didn't listen. We do, or my kid went sideways, or my job, I lost my job, my money's gone, whatever, and we pray with all our heart, and it doesn't change. And we start to, to blame him. Unrealistic, unrealized expectations. Trauma. Lose a child. Lose your health. Lose your spouse too soon. Lose your job. Lose your money. Lose your reputation. Go to war. We've had many of our soldiers come back from Iraq and Afghanistan with PTSD. We have men and women in our church that have been traumatized by one thing or another, and there's all kinds of trauma, and they have PTSD of one kind or another. Trauma can cause you to doubt God and to step away. And that's a sign that your faith was presumption. It's okay to doubt. It's never okay to turn your back and, and shake your fist in his face and say, no, I'm not going to have that. Now, if you go that far and you do that, he still is not going to turn away from you. He will give you what you want, and then when you're broken, he will bring you back. Does that sound good to you? Yes? Okay, good. Thanks, Ugo. Um, undeserved suffering. Who hasn't had that? Anger. And self-righteousness. Oh, that person said something to me, and how dare they say that to me? Self-righteousness. That's presumption. That's not faith. Faith in Jesus will say, I don't care what they say to me. That's a little. That's nothing. But, man, we can't take it. Pride. Victimhood. I'm always the victim. I'm always carping, complaining, uh, you know, whining about everything. The pleasure of sin. You take a look at it, it looks pretty good. I like that website. I'm going to open that website. I'm going to go down the, down the rabbit trail of that website. And in a little while, you're just covered with filth. And then... You say, well, God will never forgive me for that. That's presumption on the negative side. All right. Neglect, this is very important. Neglect malnutrition, if you will, of God's word and sacrament. I cannot tell you how many, probably, I don't know how many of you read your Bible intentionally every single day. You should be reading your scriptures every single day at least a little bit. There's apps, for goodness sake. You don't even have to read. You can push a button. It'll talk to you. It's just too easy to be in God's Word. You say, well, I don't have time. You know what? That's presumption. 
Presumption is not saving faith. If you're one of those people that just, you're curious, what is real saving faith? Paul is going to tell us right now. Here's something that you need to think about. Our responsibility, just because we believe in God's sovereignty and election and predestination, all those cool things, in no way impinges or puts any pressure on your human responsibility and freedom. He doesn't doesn't do anything to your freedom. What he does is he lets you be free. But then you better exercise that freedom every day of your life to the end, to your own expense. If they come and take you and hang you on a cross, to that end. If they chop your head off to that end. It's not going to happen here in the United States. But my goodness, folks, the call, Bonhoeffer said the call to discipleship is the call to come and die. And he did. Hung in a concentration camp by piano wire right at the end of World War II. The call to discipleship is a call to come and die. Follow me and die. And yet, too many of us, particularly Americans, we hold, we hold back too much. And I'm calling on you as the Apostle Paul. You give everything to him. Everything. All your suffering, your pain, your loss, your, all of it. It doesn't mean you harden your heart. Your heart will become soft like butter. You'll be more moved, more compassionate, more true. Listen to this proverb. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at God. Wow. We mess up our lives, and we get angry at God because there's, you know, things start falling apart. So how do you know if it's presumption? Well, look at these verses, 23 and 24, and really it, the rest is a little bit, un, can be a little confusing, but I'm not going to try to untangle it. We just don't have time. How do you know if it's presumption? Very simple. Very, very simple. We refuse to repent, believe the gospel, and follow him. All of life, first theses of the 95 theses of Martin Luther, the first one, probably the only one anybody knows, all of life is repentance. You don't repent once, become a Christian. You repent, you become a Christian, and you repent and repent and repent for the rest of your life because sin is going to be ever-present. It's going to be nagging at you. You're going to have failures. But you constantly are looking to Christ. And what did Jesus say in Mark chapter 1? First sermon he gave, first words out of his mouth. Repent, believe the gospel, follow me. Repent of your sins, turn to me. Trust me, believe the gospel promises that I have given you. And now follow me. Radical repentance, radical faith, radical obedience every day of your life. And when that, when that blank spot comes, and you run, I ran away from God for 10 solid years. Marty V and me, it was her fault. We turned our back on God. We shook our fists in His face and said no. And our life and our marriage went into the toilet. 
And who was there when we climbed out of that filth? Who helped us out of that, that sewer that we were in? He brought us up. He cleaned us. He embraced us and said these words, Repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. Follow me. Once again, see, he's, not, he's not disturbed by your sin. You want to know what, you know what disturbed our Father in heaven about sin? Watching his precious son bear that filth on the cross and, and his hearing the words out of his son's mouth, my God, why, forsa- why have you forsaken me? Now there you're talking. Your sin is nothing compared to that. But your sin will be everything if you don't turn to that. Yes? Everything. It will crush you to powder. And God is standing begging us to come trust Him. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they're angry at God. How do you know if it's presumption? Because we simply refuse. Look at 23 and 24. If Israel turns from their unbelief, God has the power to restore them, to graft them back in. He's talking about a principle. There's no time in your life that you could come back to God and say, I... Man, I'm sorry. I messed up for the last 100 years or 25 years, 50 years. I've made a mess. Forgive me. And say, ah, you know, I don't know. He, he, Jesus said, he will not turn you away. Either going to believe that, that those words came out of our Lord's mouth and that he meant it, or you're not. I choose to believe. I choose to believe that for Aaron, for Moises, for my dad, for my family, for me, for you. I'm going to believe him, not you. Yeah? All right. And faith is no big thing. It's just trust. It's just trusting him. I love him. I'm not ashamed to say it. I love Jesus. What's that thing on TV now? He gets me. A lot of people are criticizing that. He gets me. He gets you too. He's wonderful. Understand this mystery. Finally, let me finish with this because I don't want to go over. To live the Christian life, you're going to have to embrace mystery. You're going to have to have a good relationship with mystery. And a lot of people that are attracted to reform theology are are well-educated people, people like engineers, doctors, uh, uh, mechanics that can take apart a uh, transmission and put it back together, like Rob, you know. Nerds love Reformed theology because it is so organized. Like, oh, I love that. I've got all the answers. And God just chuckles. You have to develop a relationship with mystery. And that is not just having a a, a fatalistic relationship with the universe, inshallah, you know, whatever God wills, inshallah. Or it's just karma, or it's just kismet, or whatever. That is not, that's fatalism. That's not Christianity. But Christianity does acknowledge that there is a veil, and behind that veil are things that God reserves to Himself, And they are way more than you can imagine, and they're more wonderful than you can ever imagine. 
Have a relationship. Look, he says, understand this 25, really the rest of 32, but I can't go that far. Understand this mystery so that you're not proud. Israel had a hard heart. But this is only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So all Israel will be saved. Now, today a lot of people think that means everybody that is a Jew that there's going to be a revival in the Holy Land and all Jews are going to be saved. That's, uh, I think, an erroneous kind of theology. It's called dispensationalism. Uh, And a lot of our brothers and sisters in the church believe that. And the restoration of state of Israel was miraculous in in every way. But I think by now, after, folks, after 11 chapters of making it crystal clear that it's not about our ethnicity, but about our faith, I don't know why we automatically, oh, he means all Israel, all the Jews are going to be saved. Unlucky for you if you don't have some Jewish blood. Right? It doesn't ring true. It's not true. And so if you have questions about that, what does he mean by all Israel? Well, this is a phrase that Paul uses that was used prolifically in the Old Testament. It was kol Yisrael, all Israel. And it, it was a, a phrase that didn't mean all without exception, but rather all without distinction. It was a representation of all the people of Israel, Yisrael, kol all Yisrael. Not everyone without exception, but everyone without distinction. In other words, the people of God, all the people of God. So, that's from Dr. Roger Nicole, by the way. He told us that every Christian should put this in their Bible somewhere so that when they get to these scriptures that say all, 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 both in Hebrew and in Greek, pas, the word pas in in Greek, that you can understand it often means all without distinction, not all without exception. Okay, got your pencils and paper? Write it down. So what does he end with? This litany, this doxology. Fantastic. I won't go too far with this. Just look at it. After all, after... 11 chapters, he can't stand it anymore. (laughs) He just breaks out into praise. You didn't know that the Apostle Paul was a Pentecostal, but he was. He spoke in tongues. He did all that stuff. He was not a Presbyterian. Man, you guys are really asleep today. Okay, I'm just kidding. All right. Oh, how great. He just bursts out. Oh, how great. God's riches, wisdom, knowledge, how impossible. Understanding his decision, his ways, who can know the Lord's thoughts? I mean, who knows enough to give him advice? That's almost funny. Who has given him so much that he needs to pay us back? And then the final. Everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power. Everything is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And he means amen. So be it. All 11 chapters, not just this little bit. All of it. Amen. 
when you're being tempted, when you're being crushed, when God is presenting things to you that are just destroying you, go to this doxology. This is a command from your commander-in-chief. Go to this doxology, and everything's spinning out of control. Just stop, get this out. Pastor Chuck told me, okay, it's chapter 11, yeah, yeah, 33, yeah, okay, got it. And do this. Oh, great God and Father, who is rich and wise and has knowledge like you. How impossible for me to understand all of your ways of my, my life spinning out of control. I'm confused. I'm hurt. How impossible to understand you. Who can know your thoughts? Who can know enough to give you advice? I'm not here to give you advice. I'm not even here to give you my laundry list. I'm here to marvel at you. Who knows enough to give you advice? Who has given to you? I have nothing to give to you. You have everything to give to me. You owe me nothing. When I had my last cancer and I was walking around my backyard trying to recover and I was getting sicker and sicker by the day, I walked in my backyard and I go around in circles and I just told God, personal moment here, I told him, I have served you all my life to see what I could get out of you. And today it ends. I will serve you the rest of my life whether you answer one prayer or not, whether you ever speak a word to me, whether if I read my Bible and it's just dry dust for the rest of my days, I'm going to serve you because you're worthy of my love and my thanks whether you ever do another thing for me. That's the kind of resolve. I'm not saying be like, please don't be like me. But in whatever way that works itself out in your life, that's the threshold we must cross. Who has given to you that you owe us? No one. Therefore, and then here's where you end, folks, when your, your trouble comes. It takes you three minutes. Look, it doesn't take me that long. Everything comes from you. Everything exists by your power. Everything is intended for your glory, even all this mess out here. All glory belongs to you, my great God and King, my Savior Jesus. Amen. Then bring your laundry list. Now please say amen. All right, that's good. Let's pray. Come on. Why can we do that? Well, I'll tell you why. The one that came from Jerusalem. The one who came from Jerusalem, what he said earlier. That's why you can do it. Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy that endures forever. There's truly, I mean, there's no one like you. In heaven above or in the earth beneath, nobody has loved us like this. Nobody, none of our gods have died for us. In fact, they all demand we die for them. Please, I beg you, Father. Create a revival in the hearts of your people here at Christ the King. And I pray it will spill out into our lives and maybe the lives of our family and friends and beyond. 
We're desperate for your spirit, Lord. Please, help us, save us, have mercy on us, and keep us, O God, by your grace. Amen.